The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, go into the town in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them both and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them and they will send them at once. Now this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them. Now most of the crowd took their cloaks and spread them on the road. Others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd that went before him and the crowd that followed behind him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up asking, who is this? And the crowd says, this is the prophet Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Matthew to record these words, this moment in the life of Jesus. And we believe these words not only had power in the day that Matthew wrote them, but they have power this day because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this word to us now perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ and to be prepared to meet him this holy week. For we, prepare, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. <clears throat> How do these palms and our hosannas prepare us for Holy Week? How does this triumphal entry with palms and hosannas prepare us for Holy Week? I mean, what does hosanna mean anyway? I remember being a brand new youth worker at a church. I was in seminary, early in seminary, a new Anglican, getting used to the liturgy, and I, I was teaching the liturgy. Someone made the mistake of asking the new Anglican to teach the liturgy. And we came to the Sanctus, which is part of our communion liturgy, where we say every week, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. And then every week we say, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Twice every week we say the word Hosanna. A student said, so what does Hosanna mean? And I blanked. And I said, I, I, I think it means 
praise the Lord? And he said, no, that's hallelujah. <laughs> what does Hosanna mean? And I said, I don't know. Well, I found out quickly. You see, Hosanna is actually a Hebrew word that's used here in the New Testament. It's the only place in the New Testament, in the stories of this triumphal entry, that this word Hosanna is used. And it's actually, though we use it in a praiseworthy sense, it's actually a request. Hosanna means literally, help us, please. Save us, please. It in fact has the same Hebrew root word that's in the name Jesus, Yeshua, Yasha, save. It's a call out for help. We said it in our psalm today. In Psalm 118, verse 25, when we read the words in English, help me now, in Hebrew, that's the word, Hosanna. Help me. I need your help. And as we enter into this Holy Week on Palm Sunday with palms and hosannas, this strange reenactment of this moment in Jesus' life, we are declaring that, in fact, God has answered that cry for help. What we find this week in Holy Week is God has answered our cry, Hosanna, help us. And he meets us in that answer this week. You see, these palms and hosannas which we declare today, these palms which we carry into Holy Week at the end of communion, you'll have opportunity as you come back from communion to take a palm cross home with you as we do each year. This palm cross that leads you into Holy Week. You see, our palms and our hosannas, if we understand what is happening here in Matthew 21, it will, these will prepare us for Holy Week. You see, these palms and these hosannas we say today show us our incredible need. Remind us of the incredible need we bring into Holy Week. The need this week of all weeks to meet the Christ. See, as we will enter into this triumphal entry story in Matthew 21, we see that God answers our hosannas with the Christ, the King, the one we've been waiting for, and we will meet him this week afresh. But not only do we meet the Christ, our hosannas are answered, our cries for help are answered with these palms and these hosannas because this week we meet the cure we see afresh what the true cure is. I mean, I've got all kinds of ways that I'd love God to help me, but he's going to come and say, there's one particular way that you need me to cure you. This week, we meet not only the Christ, we meet not only the cure, but we will meet at the foot of the cross. That as we cry out, Hosanna, help us, the gift that is given to us afresh this week is the gift of the cross. So we begin with the Christ. Our palms and hosannas show us our need for the Christ. You see, for 600 years before this moment in Matthew 21, for 600 years, Israel had been waiting, waiting for the Christ, the Messiah. Mashiach in Hebrew, anointed one, Messiah, 
in Greek, the Christ. They've been waiting 600 years for the Christ. Because 600 years before this moment, in 597 BC, the unthinkable had happened to the people of God. Babylon had sacked Jerusalem. The people of God went into exile. And though they would return in time under Ezra and Nehemiah and rebuild, it would never be the same. Because now they would be oppressed. They would be under the foot of foreign rulers. They would suffer under the Babylonians and then under the Persians and then under the Greeks and now they're suffering under the Romans. For 600 years, they called out their hosannas to God. Come and help us, please. See, the hope of the Messiah, this anointed king who would return, was a fulfillment of the promise given to David. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Verse 12, God says to King David, this promise, he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. See, the hope for this Messiah, the hope for the Christ, for 600 years, that hope had grown under oppression. Can you imagine the expectation in that crowd that Palm Sunday morning as they shouted in front and behind of Jesus, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna. You will save us. You are the one who will redeem and save us. That language, son of David, is the most messianic title you can use in scripture. You're here, Jesus. You're the one. The hope and the expectation in that crowd was enormous that day. And it's all through this passage. I mean, even in the opening line, verse one, just a geographic reference point shows that it's the Messiah. The fact that in verse one, we hear that he starts at the Mount of Olives. See, the prophecy from Zechariah is not just Zechariah 9, which we read a moment ago, but also Zechariah 14 says this promise, that on that day, the Messiah's feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. There was an actual route into Jerusalem that they expected the Messiah to take. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can look out over and see the Mount of Olives and then watch the route that the Messiah was to take down through the Kidron Valley, in through the gate, and right into Jerusalem. The fact that he starts at the Mount of Olives is Matthew's way of saying with a geographic marker, here is the Messiah. I'm going to come back to the donkey in a moment. It's another reference to the Messiah because it fulfills Zechariah chapter 9. But look at verse 8. Verse 8 where it says that they spread their cloaks on the road and they cut branches from trees and laid them on the road. This again is a messianic act. Back in 2 Kings chapter 9, when Jehu ascends the throne, immediately his courtiers take off their cloaks, 
lay them on the stairs beneath his feet, and they shout, Jehu is king. To lay cloaks on the road, to lay branches because you can't find your cloak, to lay anything on the road beneath the feet of a person is to say, this is the king. This is the anointed one we've been waiting for. These palms say, here is the king. It's like the boy who was sick from church one Sunday, and it just happens to be Palm Sunday, and his family comes back from Palm Sunday with palm branches. And the boy says, what's this all about? And they said, oh, these are the branches that people laid beneath Jesus' feet and held over his head as he passed by. And the boy said, it figures the one Sunday I miss church and Jesus shows up. (laughs) All of this points to him being the Messiah. He is the king. See, the challenge is that when we cry out Hosanna, when we say, oh God, come and save us, we say, we want the king to come. We want you to come and fix everything. But everything in our world tells me and tells you that in fact you're supposed to be your own king and your own queen. You're supposed to rule your own life. Oh God, I, I, I'm going to say Hosanna and have you come and help me, but I'm going to stay in charge. You see, when the king comes, he comes and rules. He comes as Lord. He comes and stirs things up. What does it say in verse 10? That as he comes into the city, the whole city quakes. Literally, that's the Greek. The city quaked under the question, who is this? When the Lord comes, when the true king comes, we quake under the knowledge that he is king and we are not. Of course, Matthew will tell us about other quakes that we're going to encounter this week. In Matthew 27, verse 51, as Jesus breathes his last, the earth will quake. In Matthew 28, verses 2 to 4, when the stone is rolled away and he comes out of the tomb alive, again, the ground will quake. We see the quaking world and the quaking of people under the weight of this king who has come. We cry, Hosanna. This week, as we enter into this holy week, these hosannas and these palms remind us that we are coming to encounter afresh the Christ, the King. We will meet him afresh this week. But not only do we, in these palms and hosannas, have the reminder that we need the Christ, but also that there's a cure that he brings us this week afresh. We're reminded of the cure we need. And it's not exactly always the cure that I would ask for. See, Jesus does something unexpected. When the king, the Christ, comes into Jerusalem, we read just beyond this passage in verse 12 that when Jesus entered, he went to the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. See, what's shocking, what the crowd would not expect, is that this Messiah, this son of David, this Christ, would enter Jerusalem and would come to the temple and bring his wrath there. 
See, they expected he'd march right up to Pilate's headquarters and he'd bring his kingly wrath against the Romans. But he doesn't. He goes to the temple. He goes in wrath to purify his temple. The shock is that the Christ, the king, comes and the cure he comes to deal out is a cure that is within the people of God, a sin that is there, not in the foreigners. What needs to be fixed is within the people of God. See, we do this all the time, don't we? We always say, oh God, I need your help, and we point to all the problems, right? The problems of my life are out there, and it's this people group, and it's that person, and it's that circumstance, and it's that set of systems. Oh God, Hosanna, come and help us, and I'll tell you where to take your cure. And God comes and says, What's broken is right here in you. I come to purify the temple here. The temple in each of you, the temple of your bodies, which I intend to dwell in. The sin and the brokenness is found in the people of God. We need to be prepared to meet that cure afresh this week. I think that Watching playoff hockey is a great way to enter into sin during Holy Week. <laughs> to be reminded of your sin. I was watching a game the other night with my second youngest daughter. And uh, at one point in the game, I made some pretty negative comments about one of the referees. <laughs> and my daughter turned to me and said, Daddy, Jesus says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And I said, yes, you're right, but when it comes to hockey referees, it's a little more like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But the truth is we're constantly looking outside ourselves to find the problems. What we encounter this week in Holy Week, if we will follow after the Messiah, is to find the cure which he brings is going to be right here. It's in each of us. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This may not be what we expected when we asked for help, but it's the cure we get. It's a bit like going to your doctor's office. You know, I'm sure physicians in the room can attest this happens. You know, the, the patient comes in and they list their symptoms. And, and after listing all their symptoms, then they say, and I was on WebMD and therefore, and, and, and the doctor realizes, oh, you didn't actually come to have me, you know, exercise some medicine in your life, you came to confirm your own diagnosis off of WebMD, right? We do this all the time. And so it is with God. We come and say, God, I know, what, I know what's wrong. But do we? This Holy Week with our hosannas and our palms, we will be reminded that the cure that comes is going to be found right in here, what's broken in me and what's broken in you. It's interesting that he comes and cleanses the temple. He's effectively cleansing a broken, idolatrous, corrupt, worshiping heart of this people. He's saying, my people's hearts have become corrupt. There's this wonderful moment in, 
well, I don't know if it's wonderful, but it's, it's a moment in Psalm 115 when God describes what happens to people who worship idols. And it's really important we get this. Here's what happens when you worship idols. And by the way, in our own homes, you may not have any little carved statues of any kind. You may have, have them all out of your life, but, but fear not. As John Calvin says, our imaginations are idol factories. You will find idols in your life. We are masters at making idols. But here's what happens when you have idols in your life. And here's what's happening to Israel's worship. Verse 4 of Psalm 115, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They make no sound out of their throat. What, what God is saying is these little carved idols can't actually do what they're carved to do. They can't see, hear, speak, move, or anything. But then verse 8 says, those who make them become like them. And so do those who worship them. In other words, that within the human heart, when we choose to worship anything other than God, we will become like the idols we worship, unable to speak, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to walk. All of a sudden we understand why Jesus has immediately in the next verse after he cleanses the temple, verse 14 says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Those who have eyes but cannot see, those who have feet but cannot walk, representative of the brokenness in Israel's worship, that they had become like the idols they worshiped, and yet he comes to heal them. He comes to put us back together, idolatrous as we may be. But here's what we must hear. These hosannas and these palms remind us as we go into Holy Week, that though we are reminded that we will encounter the Christ this week, and that he will come and bring a cure for us, the cure is not going to be what we expect necessarily. It will be right here. He comes not to overthrow Pilate's headquarters. He comes to overthrow my heart. But how he brings that cure is also unexpected. And so we come back to the donkey. Remember the donkey? Well, the donkeys. The donkey and the colt. Verse 2, verse 5, verse 7, donkey. Now, in one sense, the donkey is fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9. I mean, it says right in Zechariah 9, he's going to come riding a donkey. But you got to ask, what were the people of Israel thinking about that? I mean, they must have said to themselves, why would Yahweh have chosen the king to come on a donkey? Because in the ancient Near East, kings would ride donkeys, but they'd only ride a donkey when they came into a city in peace. When they came into a city almost in surrender to make peace. Normally they'd ride in with a war horse and an army. But here, the son of David, the Messiah, the Christ, rides in on a donkey in humility. All of a sudden we are reminded that our palms and our hosannas are reminding us that this week we will not just meet the Christ and his cure, but we will meet again afresh at the foot of the cross. 
The means by which he cures us will be through his death and resurrection, through his cross. This triumphal entry, this humble triumphant entry is meant to point us to the uniqueness of this king we meet this week who comes not to spill the blood of his enemies but comes to have his own blood spilled for his enemies. It's such a reversal of what we think of of kingly authority, isn't it? In fact, Bishop Tom Wright says that an increasingly common interpretation of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is to see that event not only as the staged fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, but also as a deliberate parody of the regular entry into Jerusalem of Pontius Pilate on horseback surrounded by soldiers. Jesus enters on a donkey to say, this is your king. I come to make peace. That peace, that symbol of peace with the Messiah riding on a donkey comes to its fulfillment on the evening of Easter. As we'll walk through this week and see Jesus at supper with his friends, giving them this meal, washing their feet, going to pray in the garden, being arrested, tried, scourged, carrying his cross to Calvary, pierced and dying for you and I. And then on the third day, raised from the dead. That evening of the resurrection, Jesus stands before the disciples and he completes, he bookmarks this week. It's all about peace. It began with an image of peace on Palm Sunday and it ends on Easter Eve with an image of peace. As he stands before his disciples and says to them these words, peace be with you. Literally, peace is yours. And then he shows them the wounds of Calvary. And again, he says, peace be with you. Because he's declaring at the end of this week that these wounds have been the means of our cure, the means of peace being made with God. As Paul goes on to say in Romans, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling, making peace between God and us. He comes in peace. I was going to name this third point in the message, not that we remember the cross, but we remember the costly grace. And I like that because it's costly. It's not cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say. It costs God everything. But it's grace in that we can never do this on our own. See, friends, what we meet this week is grace. We meet the Christ, we meet his cure, and we meet his gracious, costly cross. It's grace because we could never do this on our own. I don't know about you, but my whole life, I'm all about trying to fix myself. I, I want you to help me, God, but what I really need to do is I need to fix me. Just, just give me enough and then I'll do the rest. But I can't, and neither can you. That's why one of my favorite moments in Holy Week 
is Monday Thursday with the giving of the Lord's Supper. Because as Jesus gives us this meal, the meal is given to us, which we now celebrate every time we gather as a remembrance, as, as a way to not forget. Do not forget. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says, because we are prone to forget. He says, do this in remembrance of me. I'm giving you this act, this liturgy, this drama to perform each and every week so you remember the gospel. Because you are going to again and again, Paul, believe that God will give you a little and you can fix the rest and you can't do it. And so every week in the mix of your idolatry, in the mix of your sense of being able to control your life, trying to be kind of king of your own manner and all that, I'm going to bring you to my table and I'm going to make you kneel because the king is the one who is the host. And then I'm going to have you open up your mouth because you won't stop talking, Paul, and I'm going to put food in it. Just be quiet. Here is my body. Here is my blood. Eat and drink and be quiet so that I may now do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That is grace. And that we find this week. How do our palms and our hosannas prepare us for a holy week? They show us, they remind us our great need for the Christ, the Messiah, the King, who we will afresh meet this week. Our palms and our hosannas, they remind us of our need for a cure, the cure, the true cure, the sin and the brokenness that's in me. We will afresh be confronted with our need for that cure this week. And we will be reminded in our palms and hosannas of our need for that costly, costly, gracious cross. We will afresh meet at the cross and we will afresh enter into the gift of our salvation. Only he can do it. So let us this day Continue to shout our hosannas. Let us this day carry our palms in parade, in triumph, in joy. Let us cry out to God for help. And then let us come and behold the gospel this week. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.